Hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company. It's a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm McKeegan Voice. Today I spoke with Garrett Hughes. Hughes is a music and technology lover from Richmond, Virginia. His loves have collided a few times, most notably when he co-founded the music NFT platform Mint Songs, which thrived until it didn't, ultimately sunsetting, until it rose from the ashes earlier this year when the tech was purchased by Napster. Today, Hughes is an engineer at Dune Analytics, but he's still an advisor at Napster and stays close to music. We chatted about his journey, covering everything from love to on-chain music trends to the great outdoors. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Here we go. Hey, Garrett. It's uh, great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So as with all of these, I'd like to start at the beginning um, and just learn a little bit more about your your origins, your story, where you grew up, and you know when your relationship with music first started. I was born and raised in Virginia. I uh, grew up a little bit in the countryside and um, uh, have a lot of fond memories in nature. And, and that mm. kind of ties into a lot of my uh, just like paradigms of life, I think. Um, I started in music around, I don't know, probably like it was early middle school. Uh, and in the U.S. at least, Actually, like in elementary school in the U.S., they uh, they make you play. Uh, they're not flutes. I fr- I can't even remember what they're called. The the uh, the uh, recorder. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 The recorder. I don't know if that's an international thing or not. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, they play it. At the, that's what they do in Minnesota as well. I I, I played a <laughs> I played a recorder in kindergarten. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so we did the recorder thing, and then um, from there uh, picked up guitar got lessons. I did that for probably four years, I think, through middle school. And then started high school, I just, I don't know, it kind of fell off my radar a little bit. And I started to really get into EDM and mashups. I don't, that was like my next thing. (laughs) And that lasted like almost throughout college. And then I kind of took a break as I really focused on technology and startups. And when I started Mint Songs, like, was going to the studio with these artists and it was really inspiring. And I was like, well, you know, like I spent years practicing this, like I should probably pick it back up. And even down there, there's like a little mini keyboard and a beat pad that I started to teach myself on. Uh, I'm not very good at it, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, that's kind of, that's about been the progression. Cool. At some point I want to come back to to uh, nature as 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 part of your paradigm of life but <laughs> before i dive into into that i'm curious who you know as as you started you know to build mint songs actually let's go one step before that even i would love to hear just just how mint songs came to be conceived like where like where did that come from yeah i think a good starting point for this is probably college um in college i was helping run a sticker business. We were doing about 60 grand in, in sales, um, mm-hmm. which like the sticker realm is a lot of stickers. <laughs> so, <Sounds> like it. <laughs> and um, yeah. And so that was kind of like the entrepreneurial itch. And then from there, I started my own photography company where I got to work with people like Ferrari, Lamborghini um, mm-hmm. and other big 
big brands, including the outdoor industry. And, you know, I got like almost addicted to this desire to build something myself. Mm. <laughs> and so that led me to um, a group at my college, James Madison University, called Society of Entrepreneurs. And Dwight, my co-founder at Men's Songs, was also a part of that. And so that's yeah, where cool. me and Dwight met, uh, I think it was sophomore year of college. So this would have been, uh, I don't know, <laughs> like 2012, I think. <laughs> so yeah, cool. uh, maybe I'm dating myself, hopefully not. <laughs> and uh, that number sounds a lot further away now. Um, <laughs> it's just going to keep getting further and further away, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, me and Dwight stayed in touch through the years. I joined an early SaaS startup. Um, I was, I was an early engineer there and scaled with them to a very large size. Um, and they're now, you know, a unicorn. And so, you know, I, I'd seen the playbook. It was worked really hard, get a little lucky, um, mm-hmm. in tandem at the same time, I like, so that company was called house call pro working on that full time. I also did my master's in computer science. Uh, and you'll probably see this trend, which I'm trying to get much healthier about, which is like, I just like to keep the pedal down, uh, like 150 miles an hour. (laughs) Got it. Um, and then right when I finished my master's, I started working with another friend of mine, Brad, uh, who I just met through San Diego. This is when we were living in San Diego. Um, he was an entrepreneur. We were working on something called yoga music, which was basically like, um, there was a potential need for leaders of classes, not just yoga, but flow, all these, all these different concepts, even spin that you want to keep BPM around a certain level. And as the workout progresses, you kind of want to manage that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of leaders were doing this themselves, uh, which is a tedious, annoying task. And so we kind of worked together to build this platform that would do that for you automatically. And, we were a Techstars music finalist. Uh, we didn't end up getting in. And so me and him, he had another endeavor that he was working on that turned out to be a good success. And we kind of decided to park it and like, you know, maybe we'll revisit it in, in years to come. And at that same time, Dwight reached out to me. And, he, and <laughs> before this too, me and Dwight had worked on a music startup called Channel, uh, which was like, basically think like Instagram stories meets YouTube shorts. And so... Oh. Um, we would surface new content from YouTube, put it into digestible pieces for people to come. And then you would connect your, your account. We would see who you like. We would just create a feed for you basically. Um, pandemic hit (laughs) and there were no more live shows. So we, Mm -hmm. we sunset channel. And then later that year, um, I think it was fall 2020 Dwight was playing around with top shots. Uh, which was a Dapper Labs um, sports NFTs. And he reached out to me and was like, you know, music NFTs. And, you know, at this time, I, I, me and him had been in crypto together since 2017. And my first reaction was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, which, which I think is a lot of people's reaction <laughs> to, yeah. to NFTs. Um, and so, like, you know, I did a lot of research uh, and thought about things pragmatically. And I started to see a lot of the use cases and, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of, after a couple months, I was like, you know what, like get an angel check, 
I quit my job. And keep in mind, I'm still at this high growth SaaS. It's really, it's borderline my dream job. <laughs> mm, and um, and he calls me, I'll never forget this. He called me like a day later. He's like, I have a first angel check. <laughs> and I was like, all right. Uh, wow, like, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> yeah. And so I put in my two weeks, um, and which really was like four weeks because I had to help them transition a lot of stuff. Mm, um, and that's when we dove in. So that's kind of the origin of Mint Songs. And then from there, it was just kind of like the goal was just to ship and iterate and try to create the best sustainable business uh, mm-hmm. that we could. Um, yeah, you mentioned that that you were you know kind of re-inspired by music and the creation of music when you you know were working on Mint Songs and seeing you know some of these artists like be in the studio with them. You know, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about, you know, who some of those artists were and like what exactly was inspiring you. Yeah. Um, I mean, all over, like we actually, so um, in, in the personal realm of life, we moved back to Richmond to be close to family, uh, Richmond, Virginia. And um, mm-hmm. it was funny because we were in the studio in a record plant out in LA, which is a really famous recording studio. And mm-hmm there's this guy that was ripping on, on, I think it was a bass guitar and like, who is this dude? And it turns out he was from Richmond. <laughs> like, oh, nice. uh, and like, you know, it was just for these really cool things. I think we did a lot of partnerships. So we worked with Sydney Swift, um, who runs an FT project called Chill Pill, if you've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then we also did a handful of sessions with ill mind, uh, who's, who's kind of a world renowned, um, producer and, and, Though he also ironically runs an NFT collection called Squad of Knights. It's done fairly mm. well as well. And seeing those guys in the studio and, you know, there would be all sorts of people that come through. Um, you know, I met a lot of really talented artists, um, people that I'm still friends with today. And I don't know, it was a blast. Uh, mm. It was just so inspiring. Cool. And, and did that get you, you know, starting to play guitar again? Yep, exactly. Nice. Um, that was that. Yeah, honestly, it was that session in Record Plant where they were ripping on the guitar, and uh, actually, the guy that was ripping on the guitar was an employee of Sid, um, Sidney Swift, hmm. over at Chill Pill, and he just like picked it up and he was like, "Let me just try." And I was like, "Damn, this is <laughs> yeah. like you know, you can sit on a beat and just like everybody's just chilling, and you're just like ripping." And I don't know, it's like a really. Uh, inspiring feeling and like the energy in that room was just like hmm. electric wouldn't even be like a proper adjective like <laughs> it was cool. like something surreal and yeah that's that's what ultimately inspired me and then i also picked up the midi and the the mm-hmm. beat pad as well just to because i saw you know i saw um people playing all these things and it was just i don't know it was it was magic <laughs> yeah yeah, there's you know nothing more inspiring than seeing seeing someone else just like pick up a guitar casually and be like, oh yeah, let me try this thing and just like you know casually rip off this like sweet guitar solo or yeah, I mean just that moment of magic that where you can you know, it's kind of transcendent you know when you're around that like someone creating that music you know with their bodies somehow 100%. and, and, and I don't have like. I mean, people would pay to hear me not sing. And so like <laughs> singing, singing is not on my <laughs> forte of talents. And so like, 
you know, you'd see like these people coming in with different talents, you know, whether it's piano or, or producing or vocals. And, you know, those felt like, you know, maybe too far of a stretch where it's like, you know, I, I'm probably not going to get to that point, but like, I can at least pick this back up and uh, play a little more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, coming back to Mint Songs and, you know, can you talk a little bit about what it, what, what it felt like to ride that wave as NFTs were like the thing um, and then became not the thing. <laughs> and, and ultimately like the, you know, the decision to sunset Mint Songs and just, you know, talk through that process a bit and that journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it was a very high moment in my life and a very low moment in my life. All, all wrapped in one. And so, um, you know, writing the sun, like writing it into the sunset was really, really fun. I think like NFTs were on a tear. Um, mm-hmm. we always looked at things from a very pragmatic standpoint, um, where NFTs were the underlying infrastructure and, mm-hmm. you know, we never put like this huge emphasis on NFTs. Uh, or we, or we tried to obfuscate it as much as possible. And so it was really enjoyable. It was, it was challenging. We, we came up with a lot of things that worked well, um, what, what obviously didn't work well and what ultimately led to our, our sunset was we actually couldn't come up with a sustainable model. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, uh, which, you know, ironically now at the time of this recording, which is, you know, August of 2023 you're starting to see this common theme play out and it's, it's tough. You know, I think, I think to build a sustainable model in crypto is a really challenging um, process and very few have done that. And, and, you know, I, my assumption is we're going to see more people fail, which I hate to say, um, but I think it's inevitable. And so, you know, it came around that time, where we were like, you know, you're looking at your burn going, you know, that number goes down and down and down. And it's, you know, I think we got to 12 months and that was like a really eye-opening point. Um, and we weren't having success fundraising. Now we were in the bear market. Um, we, we laid off um, a good chunk of the team to help hopefully extend the runway. And we started to do a lot of work on our modeling for how we become uh, default alive, <laughs> uh, which is a concept of how, basically how do you survive on no more VC dollars? And we couldn't come up with a model that worked. We, we tried, I mean, we worked on this for weeks. Um, we explored the idea of a pivot, but we didn't have conviction. And so we, we just kind of had to make a, a really, really hard decision um, to kind of pull the ripcord and return the remaining capital to investors. And we felt that that was the most prudent thing to do. Um, And it was hard. I mean, it was really hard. Uh, You know, you hear advice like, oh, you always got to like power through it. Like no matter what, just keep trudging through. And then you're like, you know, if I take a step back, like we've had success, but there's no real path to us being sustainable. And, um, it was, it was a really hard decision, (laughs) many tears, many, many, uh, late nights. I probably aged myself by at least a decade. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I know, I know the hardship of, you know, trying to grind through a project uh, because you do have a lot of conviction and, and a lot of your heart has gone, gone into it and just wanting it to be alive at, at all costs, you know, default alive is, <laughs> you know, it's a good place to be ultimately. That of course was not the end of the story for Min Songs. Um, and uh, I'm, I'd love to hear how the tale continues, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of enter Napster. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we built some things that were, um, you know, pretty good tech. We, you know, we, we'd always hedge ourselves. Like we had a, a world-class engineering team and, um, we built a lot of things that were really good. <laughs> and so, mm -hmm. uh, Napster ended up acquiring a lot of our IP and, uh, can't speak too, too much into what they're doing, but they're working on some really cool things behind the scenes. And, uh, that should come to fruition in the coming months. And yeah, I'm just excited to see where that goes. Um, you know, John, the CEO is a very, it's a very smart individual. Uh, he's been in the music industry for a while and mm -hmm. I felt like he was a real partner throughout the process where, you know, everything felt like a little bit of push and pull and it was, a, you know, we landed at an amicable solution and yeah, it was, it just kind of worked out in that favor. And, and also it's kind of ironic because it's a little full circle in like the whole macro scene, uh, scheme of, of music because, you know, Napster's known for disrupting, uh, right. they've survived a very long time <laughs> and, uh, you know, now their focus, now a focus of, of their business model is crypto, which is obviously a disruptive technology and mm -hmm. it felt a little full circle. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. I, I don't know as much about, you know, like the nap, like the constitution of Napster as, as an organization, like, you know, like the personnel now, you know, I'm just in, you know, like looking at LimeWire, which basically resurrected the brand, but uh, like none of the IP or anything, like literally just the IP to the brand was resurrected and then like used to, to raise money and create an NFT platform. But I'm curious if Napster has maintained any of its personnel, any of like the ethos, the direction, the vision that existed way back in you know the late 90s and when when you know everybody that knows of napster you know sort of remembers it for yeah yeah no i think that you know i've sat in some of the all hands and i think that passion's still there i i don't think it went away um you know obviously the napster nowadays is totally different of a company right. from the napster back <laughs> in in the right like the OG days, which is mm -hmm. probably some would argue maybe for the better, yeah. <laughs> um, given that that was maybe a little too disruptive. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that this is like, I think that like little burn in their historical journey helps drive them into what's next, which is like not looking at the world as it is, but looking at the world as it could be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's powerful mm -hmm. and genuinely, uh, it seems that everybody at Napster is extremely passionate about, you know, doing good to the music industry. Mm. Cool. That's good to hear. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know you said you can't, you can't speak much to, uh, you know, the specifics of what Napster is doing in the web three space, but I wonder if you can speak a little bit more abstractly about this kind of convergence of web two and web three, you know, within music and streaming, because it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and it's still really hasn't happened in like a scalable way that it could potentially you know with something like napster so i'm 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 curious just to hear like more generally if you can talk about it like where you see some what you're excited about in in, in kind of like how platforms like like say spotify could you know lean in to you know whether it's music nfts or other you know other elements of of the on-chain ecosystem to um you know create more value for you know ideally artists <laughs> and like their communities but like you know in effective ways that that also increases the value of their product you know in whatever you know by whatever metrics obviously this was a core ethos in its songs and so this doesn't necessarily apply to napster and i think that this is like mostly my views at a larger level but like the way for nfts to get more adopted is to obfuscate the technology as much as possible. And so obviously by coupling that to DSPs or streaming, those users, like the, the likelihood that they use crypto is small. <laughs> and so creating these accessible paths for consumers, regardless of the underlying technology, I think is really, really powerful. Um, the way that we approached the segment songs was always, you know, we need to onboard fans through a frictionless experience. Um, you know, I think a lot of DSPs are looking at this in the same viewpoint. Um, and I think it's obvious that we have to look, or this is obvious to me, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this is actually a debatable point. I don't know. Um, but I think it's obvious that we have to get out of the, the crypto Twitter bubble or the, you know, just that the, the niche crypto bubble into like a broader fan enablement of like, why are we doing this? How does it benefit an artist? Um, and really being artists first and how we, how we view these things. Um, and then, you know, I think the secondary thing is being fan, you know, fan secondary, if you will, or, or some could argue fan first where it's, not just do we have to provide the rails for artists, but we also have to provide realistic paths and expectations for fans where it's, you know, you know, what, what is this thing? And, you know, we struggled with that at, at mint songs as we went to a broader fan base where it's like, you know, the, the age old question, well, I can listen to this on Spotify. Why do I need to pay, you know, 30, 300 or $3,000 for this? <laughs> Um, and so providing these like interesting mechanisms that can be pulled, I think it's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about what, yeah, I mean, just today I was writing, you know, a piece, uh, about this, this kind of idea about how we've, uh, sort of lost, um, you know, we've sort of forgotten the things used to cost money. <laughs> and <Totally>. and <laughs> we're just like not everything of course but like you know things like 
music, anything that's that's been platformized essentially. And and we're so used to just paying a subscription fee every month to get access to every single thing that exists. It feels like um, I, I it feels like a really important you know transition or I guess reversion, um, but also one that's going to have a lot of friction to introduce like uh, you know paying money for music again and 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 I, and I feel like that's like one of the you know to your point and like talking about like what's what's the utility like why should I pay for this um, when I can stream it for you know, free ostensibly. And, you know, you know, I think you're alluding to like a lot of the different, you know, mechanisms that, that you can play with, with web three and, and, you know, with the blockchain and, uh, you know, sort of as this, as this direct to fan, you know, disintermediating technology where you get direct transparency to like, who is on the other side of, of your music. And then you can provide utility to those people very directly without any, you know, the middlemen. And I think that's really exciting. And I, I also have been having a tough time thinking about how how you can reconcile this this sort of potential for intimate, you know, community um, that can mm. happen through the direct purchase of of something like an NFT and cultivating that with something like scale, like something like a streaming platform that is scalable. It's meant to be scalable. It's got one hundred twenty thousand songs being uploaded to it every single day. Like you know, what's the middle ground? How do we reconcile these these two ideas of of like community versus kind of, kind of infinity? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I think you're really touching on um, a core tenant, which is like discoverability, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think you know we experienced this at Mint Songs. I think uh, when it was all said and done, about a hundred thousand NFTs were minted through our contract, mm -hmm. and so you know, we started to see a level where it was, it was getting more complicated on, well, who shows up on the homepage? How do you sort, you know, mm -hmm. do you have an open algorithm? Is it proprietary? Do you have something right. that's very simple where it's just, you know, whoever uploads it, you know, it's just a time descending and like right. these things got complicated. It got complicated quickly. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I would receive emails like, hey, you know, we'll pay you a hundred bucks to be on the front page. It's like, well, that doesn't feel right, <laughs> mm -hmm. despite our, our monetary issues. Because <laughs> like, yeah. then it's just like effectively bribing or advertising, which didn't feel yeah. like the direction we wanted to go in. And it's like, you know, then people are mad that they're not on the front page or, or feature or, you know, I think it was, it's really hard. And I think you're even partially discovering this with sound as they've opened up to a broader platform where it's like, well, now finding stuff's hard. <laughs> like it, it used to be really simple. I, I think the discoverability aspect is really, really difficult. And I think for what it's worth, I think this is a hard concept with everything, like including mm -hmm. DSPs today, where totally. you know, there's millions of songs and you know, it it shouldn't be at a place where if you get featured on a playlist, you all of a sudden make it as an artist. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Like yeah. That feels obviously broken to me, mm -hmm. but I, I also like taking a step back. I recognize that this is a really complicated problem, especially having dealt with it on even like a much, much smaller scale. <laughs> like these are hard problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I guess if they weren't, they they may be solved at, at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I totally agree with you. Like when you when it's to the point where like one little thing that one person can you know decide in a platform in which you know, that is you know super saturated with content can make a decision to put you onto a playlist and that can literally change your life and make your career or not um, is is a little wild. Like there's some you know, there's some power dynamics that, that exist there that we need to revisit. Uh, it's just like, you know, the amount of power that, that editorial playlists and Spotify have is, 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 is maybe a little outsized. <laughs> we need to democratize that. But, it, but, it, you know, to your point, it's like very complicated. Like when you have this much music, how, how do you, how do you begin to, to do it. And I, I mean, in my mind is like, it's like, you have to reintroduce more of a human element to it, not in the sense of like an editorial playlist, but like contextualize it, make it think, think more locally again, um, back to like, you know, your local blog. I mean, I, I just, you know, I've been talking a lot about you know, like the blog days, the glory, you know, you know, the glory days. Those are my blog. favorite days. They're so good. This, this song is sick. And the, you know, yeah. there are a lot of really epic, um, I don't know. I remember going on uh, a lot of those early vlogs and, you know, you would, or at least for me, like I would monitor it daily, sometimes even hourly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so interesting because there's like a, you know, a snippet of context and, and you come to know, you know, who the writers are and who, you know, whose taste that you appreciate, um, you know, over time through context and, and that, that I think is like through the platform platformification of of music has kind of been abstracted away. Talking back on some of the models that we explored as we were like trying to figure out our model, it was like, well, what if we made commuting community um, voting or like this concept of like a community driven, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of like a blog, I guess. Um, right. Uh, and I think that there's, um, somebody's tackling this right now outside of the music space. Um, there's this, there was this Jow, Dow. I don't know if they're still around. Um, Joke Dow. I don't know if you. Joke Dow. Yeah. And so. Familiar. Yeah. It, it's basically, um, so it's joke race dot xyz is the is the domain that okay. it's on and it's uh contest for communities to make execute and reward decisions and so like you know this is the open protocol that we played around with and you know it was interesting uh you know the, the original concept was around jokes obviously from joke um mm -hmm. and so it was like you know submit a joke as a community we'll vote on it whoever wins you get a reward and so that's how we thought about curation, where it's like, let's create this curative experience on chain, where then you can start seeing some of the key players, like who are the the tastemakers, if you will, or, mm -hmm. or like who has uh, a lot of the foresight. Um, now, where this potentially breaks is like, again, you find out who that person is. Now you can bribe, you can figure out, yeah. you know, you can take yeah. them out to dinner <laughs> and all of a right. sudden they vote with you know, maybe confidence or not confidence on extending it and others may agree or not agree. And so 
it's always a challenge with with who has the most power. Yeah, indeed, it's a good point. So it's the old paola you can't can't get rid of it, no matter what you do. But it's an it's an interesting yep. challenge. I mean, like, how do you? I, I feel like maybe something like a DAO is best equipped to create you create disincentives for people to do that to you know to take you know to take a bribe i i don't know how i mean it's an interesting thought experiment like how do you you know how do you play around with mechanics and dis you know you know to disincentivize that because everything is so transparent and everything is is you know potentially on chain like how how can you facilitate structures that could hold up and not break down as you build out these like curation routes yeah I mean, <laughs> it's counterintuitive, but one argument that I've seen, and I think this was even an announced proposal, is like, at the end of the day, this is going to happen. And so we should encourage and create the rails to do this on chain so it's visible. Huh. Whether I agree with that or not, like maybe it's up for discussion, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like, if, like if you're operating under the assumption that bribery is going to happen irrespective, Mm -hmm. Then creating it in an open environment where anybody can see at least who's driving narrative maybe isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. I'd be curious on what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you know, like the harm reduction model for drugs. Uh, it's like, we, we know people are going to use drugs, so let's make sure they do it safely and are educated and, and we can regulate them. Um, which makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, that model has been very effective for those who have implemented it. Um, obviously drugs are <laughs> different, um, than, than, uh, something, you know, like a bribe, <laughs> but, but I, I do that. I mean, that does make sense in, in terms of the approach, because like maybe or maybe it's the beginning of more structure um, to it. As long as you can see it happening and it's on chain, it's transparent, then you understand the motivations, you understand, like you can actually then build, once you have the observable behavior, then you understand what is incentivizing people. Therefore, you could potentially understand how, how to disincentivize people from participating in that behavior, or, or at least trying to attenuate it as much as you possibly can. Uh, I, I don't know what that would look like. I've never thought about this, this specific thing before, but I am intrigued. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, I just put it in the chat. Um, that, was the, uh, that was the tweet that kind of sparked a lot of this, where it was like, you know, you could bid on noun votes and mm. like, this is bribery. Uh -huh. <laughs> like whether you want to execute, like whether, yeah. And it's interesting. I think it's really interesting in the context of nouns, but you, because you talk about somebody that has like a war chest treasury. And so at what point does the, like, how close do you get? Like if somebody, if you were a nouns holder and, you know, let's say nouns as a whole has, uh, I, I don't even know how many how much they have. Last I think I looked, it was like thirty million dollars or something. It's a lot. And uh, if I go check out nouns right now, 
uh, what are they on? 798. So if you gave each of them, so 800, uh, let's just do some fun math. If you gave each of them, you know, a hundred grand, would you get enough consensus to execute on draining the entire treasury? Or, or like, like at what threshold do you get? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. And yeah, so I, I mean, at, at some point when you get to like, yeah, that's an interest. That's an interesting model. Right. I don't know. <laughs> like what? Yeah. What is the payout threshold where everybody just votes to? Yeah. And sorry. Yeah. They have uh, 50 million, 53 million. So like you could pay orders of magnitude higher where you're talking like, what if you paid each of them? You know, you could in theory pay each of them. I mean, if you did 50 grand for each, yeah, it'd be 40 million. And then the person that executes would still be able to, you know, keep 20 million or 15 million. That's not a bad deal. (laughs) True. Everyone makes 50 grand. Yeah. But my assumption is that people would block this at like a, um, ethical layer where it's like, we wouldn't want to be associated with this. Yeah. At at, at like a fundamental level. It's also like, I feel like the experiment, you know, of nouns is, is, you know, 800 people who are interested in continuing the experiment, you know, the experiment and like, let's see how we can grow it, what we can build. I guess, I guess, you know, motivations change over time, but also, also something I hadn't thought too much about that, that, that is interesting to think when you like pair governance with these tokens that can potentially have a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fascinating rabbit hole. And I think there are ties into music where, you know, there, there could be interesting outcomes. Um, mm. and so obviously we shied away from it because as we did research, we couldn't build conviction, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you remember any of the, any of the ideas or models that you were playing around with that, you know, per- perhaps didn't have quite enough conviction to move forward to actually implement and build, but you were, you were excited about? I mean, I definitely think this was one of them, um, Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, you know, you would stake, uh, you know, maybe there would be a cryptocurrency involved or not, um, like our own token. Um, there are a bunch of interesting things where this could be fascinating. I think the regulatory space in the U S was too much of a risk for us to, Mm -hmm hedge that on. (laughs) Uh, And so I think this was like one of the ones that we gained a lot of conviction around. Um, Something else we we started to explore was how we create a a hub for artists where you would, you know, I, I think as we built Mint Songs, like it was very clear that we shouldn't gate um or discourage people from going to other platforms. I think it was really clear that, you know, you should drop on catalog, you should drop on sound, you should drop on mint songs. You should, you know, you should do these things. And like the whole name of the game is experimentation. 
And like, if we're right. discouraging artists from experimenting, we're doing a disservice to artists, which was like our core uh, focus, you know, how we mm-hmm. create a better world for, for musicians. And so, um, you know, I think that was another thing we had a lot of conviction around. We just, we felt the space was too nascent to have, to become default alive. <laughs> right. Uh, interesting idea, uh, probably too late the game. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's it's what I was just talking to somebody else about this, though. It's like you need to experiment, you know, at the beginning because you need to set precedents and create create pathways and potential roadmaps for people in the future. It's just like the way building shit works. <laughs> it's like first Ooh. few times it doesn't work very well. And then it's like, oh, we, we know not to do that. Um, or like that. Totally. That that element of 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 that worked really well. Let's lean into that and you know structure ourselves around that that one piece. And I think yeah, I mean I think the problem with music is that music and NFTs had a race, right? You had you had um, these people that were getting very large investments, like one of, um, right, right, yeah. and. I think they've even scaled away from music. Like, I don't even know if music's their core focus anymore. I, I don't think it is. I think they do a little bit of everything last time I checked. Yeah. And so, like, I think what happened was everybody was trying to access capital and uh, acquire as much content as possible. And we saw, like, I don't know, we saw this this gray zone where... I think everybody kind of halted a little bit and it was like, oof, like, let's slow down real quick. Like, yeah, does the market even want this? Like, are, mm-hmm. like we talk with artists anywhere from very small to very big and we had all range of things. People were like, you know, fuck off to like, <laughs> oh, this sounds interesting. Like, you know, I could get a split mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, 30 seconds from sale. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. That sounds like a dream. Is that, is that yeah. true? <laughs> Yeah, it felt like, you know, I guess the way capitalism works, it's not, it's not surprising just to see like, you know, kind of a run on who, you know, like who can corner the market the fastest and and use like very traditional routes of investment and, you know, of capital in order to get there quickly. Um, it's interesting to, you know, to kind of juxtapose the, what what is web3 and the elements of web3 because of course you you know you have blockchain technology um which has you know a lot of value and a lot of you know different use cases depending on through which lens you're looking at it and then you also have like the the ethos that comes from it which is in in you know in part you know kind of derived from what the blockchain you know enables that that being decentralization and 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 you know, like providence that you know, you know as you're talking about like you want artists and people to create things on your platform but like you're okay with the fact that it doesn't have to stay on your platform and like and that's that's healthy that that kind of open source ethos but i'm curious to get your thoughts on on like those those two things because it 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 feels like hard to to uh you know also reconcile that when you have like traditional routes of capital that that are you know roi driven and sort of depend on scale coming um in 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 putting money into products that require slower growth and like you know more patience and 
and more intention, um, especially when you're introducing something like like a digital wallet where you have like, you know, you're talking to people with all different levels of education, don't really like, and, and, and consequently all these different levels of friction and all the stigma that's in the space, like you really have to let people catch up. Um, anyways, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on, on sort of that, yeah. that disconnect. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot there, um, to unpack, like there's definitely an issue with, how do I want to phrase this? I think there's an issue with people running into the space blindly mm-hmm. on this on this false premise of like almost like a get rich quick. Totally. Um, and what that led to was a lot of people coming into the space without intention. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like in tandem to that. That was like one of the biggest worries with a lot of medium and large artists that we talked to was like, hey, you know, I've worked decades to build my brand. I don't want to dilute it on like this almost cash grabby thing. Right. Um, which is why we we created another product, which was posters, which was effectively free NFTs before free NFTs were cool. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that, w- that was a way to counter that, which was like, well, let's just get people into the space. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really challenging. I, I think it's also really up to platforms uh, to set realistic expectations. And, you know, it's not a, you know, let me create exit liquidity in my community. (laughs) Hopefully it's more of a, let's build a sustainable super community, uh, Mm -hmm. if you will. And I think it's, you know, I think it's fascinating to see the financialization of, of like, you know, web three is for all intents and purposes, like the financialization of everything. (laughs) And so it's interesting to, to look at that through the lens of an artist who typically doesn't have, you know, a lot of money or they it's struggling or, you know, even, even larger artists, like it's not all sunshine and roses. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's hard. You got to chase down, you know, maybe you didn't get paid uh, this or that or, or touring. Um, like it's not an easy journey by any means. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's tough. Um, and I think that this is where a lot of L2s or side chains come in. And we mm-hmm. didn't really touch on this a lot, but like, I think that there's a lot of interesting use cases there where you can do things with more obfuscation that make it less about financialization and more about the rails of blockchain. <laughs> right. right. And I think that that's, um, it's an easier sell for the fan side of things. Uh, on the artist side, like usually this equates to lower spend on nfts or you know uh maybe potentially even more difficult processes and Mm -hmm. i recognize that but it also creates more sustainable groups in my opinion Uh, Mm -hmm. and like even at mint songs like we since we built on polygon for for one of our you know uh features if you will or one of our platforms whatever you want to call it like we covered all the gas fees for everyone. So it was completely obfuscated where you didn't even have to like fans aren't even thinking about gas fees. Artists aren't right. even like you could on mint songs, you could sign up with an email, mint a song without having a wallet or any Matic, uh, which is the underlying uh, token for Polygon in like 30 seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and that low friction, I think is really important. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of there's been a lot of infrastructural development over um, the past year or so. I don't know. Time in crypto isn't really operate <laughs> the same same yeah. way. As the yeah, rest. we're at a different dimension. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of of attention um you know given to what okay what what are the consumer applications that are now going to you know utilize this you know this infrastructure and um and and now that you know it is to your point obfuscated a bit more like what does that mean um you know i know seed club uh for instance like they just launched like their their most recent season is is you know fully dedicated to to consumer crypto applications and like mm-hmm. uh, it it'll be interesting to see like what the what the use case is and I'm I'm sure like a, a lot of people will see like things like L twos as as kind of the unlock to thinking about growth and thinking about scale and in ways that can potentially rival uh, the you know convenient web two products that we all no enough <laughs> yep and and i think like you're seeing these grow over time i think a, a team that i've been consistently impressed with is zero x splits i think they found themselves accidentally in a niche of the music space <laughs> as they quickly yeah. realized like uh oh splits make a ton of sense here <laughs> yeah, so much sense. And, um, and i think that they've done a lot to help drive the space forward i think they have a lot of really interesting thoughts and the way that they view software in the context of blockchain is really fascinating because it's really, mm-hmm. it's very protocol first. Uh, like mm-hmm. let's create this permissionless thing that sits out and anybody can use it. And, you know, this is beneficial to virtually any party, any, anything that you want to split money with. And yeah. there's, it's completely permissionless. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. Turns out there are a lot of things in life where you want to split money with, <laughs> with yeah. people. <laughs> yes. Um, music being a great example. Should we get to a point where we can all agree, all agree on the metadata <laughs> and and yeah. and you know all the rights holders and how that whole convoluted mess works? <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of 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 products that are more universal and and applicable to um, uh, things outside of the music industry, you've you've now moved on to to a Dune Analytics, and I'd just love to touch on that just a little bit. If you could talk about your role there, yeah, yeah, I, um, I joined Dune. You know, I think I was always for any artist that ever talked to me, uh, which I talked to hundreds, <laughs> if if not maybe even thousands. But uh, I'm a very analytics driven person, or or any anybody that's really ever talked to me, and so I was always really fascinated with with Dune. Um, I had a lot of respect for Frederick and Matt's, uh, they, you know, they had an arduous journey that wasn't easy. And, you know, I think that a, a lot of the things that we were building at, at Mint Songs on the analytics side were Doom inspired, where it's like, Hey, how can we create these graphs or give you these funnels or like these other things? And, um, you know, I, I was trying to be really intentional about where I ended up next and. I think it, it ended up like this convergence of all the things that I'm passionate about, um, or a lot of the things that I'm passionate about, obviously not all, but mm-hmm. where it's it's blockchain, you have analytics, 
Um, one of the teams that I'm managing, one of the engineering teams that I'm managing is AI focused. And so you have this fun with AI and um, yeah, it was just like this really fascinating um, convergence of a lot of things. And it's been a, a lot of fun. I've only been here for a month. And so it's uh, it's been a good time in so far. Good, good. I'm happy to hear that. I uh, wish you only the best as you continue to go down that uh, uh, you know that path, climb that dune. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, couldn't help myself. Sorry. Um, yeah. No. It's it's funny too because like some of the core infrastructure is is hedged around Dune, like the movie. Hmm. So <laughs> you'll see like uh, this crossover almost in, like a little. It's almost like a joke of the sci-fi interaction. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So, I, 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 I appreciate it. that. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, because I mentioned this at, at the beginning, I said I'd come back to it and it's, you know, fits in terms of like talking about things you're passionate about and dunes being, being a natural <laughs> of the natural world. Uh, I just want to circle back to your love of nature as, as a paradigm of life and just explore that a little bit more leave leave tech behind and the screens behind for a second and just talk a little bit about um how nature forms your your paradigm of life to maybe draw a broader picture um after college my my partner uh, lily she biked across the u.s sleeping sleeping in uh, parks and all sorts of stuff at that same time i was living in a sprinter van uh, traveling around the U.S., fly fishing and taking photos, and so I was cool. spending a lot of time in nature, uh, out on the water. And you know, after a couple of months, you know, we had connected, and um, I don't know how deep I should take the story, but like <laughs> me and Lily had, yeah, me and Lily had dated before. Uh, we we kind of separated in college. We'd known each other since we were in, like fourth grade or third grade, and um, you know, then that came we were coming to the end of these very outdoorsy um, points in our life. And so we decided, well, let's do some more. <laughs> and hmm. uh, we, we lived out of a rooftop tent on our Jeep for three months, just living in forests. And I think a lot of the, the crossover in nature, um, just like, there's just so many crossovers, like the way, the way that, um, you have to find your resources. And, you know, for us, that was even like finding places to sleep. We didn't sleep in hotels. We slept in the forest. <laughs> and so like uh, being able to chart your own journey, being able to find your own resources, there's, it's not just crossover into, into light or into tech, but it's like really a lot of crossover into life. And mm -hmm. I, I think that helped shape us as we dove into our careers um, where it's like, you know, sometimes it's not the easiest road. Sometimes you take a wrong turn. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, you go down the wrong trail. Um, uh, you know, sometimes you learn the hard way, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, for me, that was mountain biking and going off of a jump that was way too high for my experience level and, <laughs> and getting a concussion and bruised ribs and stitches on my face. <laughs> uh, damn, you know, sorry. You, you learn, yeah, <laughs> it's all good. I give up downhill mountain biking after that for what it's worth. Uh, only only do cross sense. country now. <laughs> um, you know, I think that there's just, there's so many parallels. And I think that that's why it's a lot of very successful people in life spend a lot of time outdoors 
Um, or this is my perception. I could be totally off. <laughs> uh, but this is something I've noticed. Um, and I think that there's a reason to it. And I think it's because of a lot of these just like crossovers. Totally. I mean, I think, um, I mean, I love that metaphor or all of the metaphors that, you know, that you were drawing there. And uh, yeah, I guess the perception of, of seeing, you know, successful people who you know, spend a lot of time in nature. I mean, it makes, makes sense. I mean, like the, it, it requires like in order to, I guess, I mean, success can mean a lot of different things, but it, in order to, um, I, you know, I guess elevate, um, in, in, in whatever success means for you and your interest in, you know, industry, you have to think like abstractly you have to think expansively you have to let your mind open um uh, and like you know in my experience there's no there's no better place to do that than you know you know wandering around away from from stimulus and just um you know connected you know nature like being by yourself in nature is actually like one of the most connective experiences that 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 you can have totally. uh, and uh, yeah there's just I mean, we could spend an hour talking about just <laughs> just okay. learnings from there, you know, like yeah. inherent worth of things in nature, you know, wood and the concept of a city is virtually worthless uh, yeah. outside of furniture. But when you're in nature, all of a sudden, yeah. it's one of the most expensive things that you would want. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, growth and balance and harmony, resilience, sustainability, like there's just so many learnings throughout. Uh, you know, diversity and collaboration, like how these things all mm. interact together. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we could spend a whole hour talking through a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. Turn it into, yeah, we could turn this into a nature podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, arguably there's also been no more important time to like reconnect with, with nature as well. Cause like, or, or, you know, also when you're in nature, um, which still feels, you know, kind of strange to me. It feels like we're we should always be in nature, like we're of the natural world or in the natural world. I guess we sort of technically are, regardless of where we are. But you know, you know, what I mean, um, like being in the woods, being on a lake, et cetera, et cetera. It, it also, or, or like being exposed to like the diversity, like like to the biodiversity and and like like the immensely complex but like perfectly balanced ecosystems that that surround us. It like creates a sense of awe, and I think also a sense of empathy that that is really important to cultivate, especially like in a climate crisis that isn't going to go away unless we we stop fucking around. <laughs> totally, yeah. And I think like the other, I don't know, like one of the, you know, there weren't a lot of good things that came out of COVID. One of the good things that came out of COVID in the U.S. was there was like a strong drive to go into nature because it was one of the places mm. that had no restrictions, uh, for better or mm. worse. And you know, I think that that paired with like a, a lot of me and Lily's favorite spots are like, how do we get as far away from the world as we can in a you know an mm. X time frame, and you wouldn't have service or like you you just very intimate because there's nothing to do but your thoughts talk and and act <laughs> like mm -hmm. uh, i think that that's like a really introspective time 
And I, yeah. I've really like, I say all this, but in fairness, I haven't done it enough since I've moved back to Virginia. Um, mm. And like, I'm regretting not having spent as much time in nature as I probably should be. I, I feel that, I feel the same way. Well, let's use this as, as mutual, mutual inspiration and mutual accountability to, to make sure that we both spend more time in nature over the, over the coming months. I love that. Yes. I'm, I'm very on board. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's do it. Um, and that feels like a good, a good place to leave things. I think go outside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, touch grass. And, uh, touch, touch grass. Indeed. Um, I just have one more question for you that I ask everybody at the end of these. Um, you are going to a desert island and you get to bring three records with you. What are they? Oof. Oof, oof, oof. <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, man. This is a really, really great question. Um, it's, it's not technically... I don't know. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Maybe this isn't a record, but Mac Miller's Tiny Desk Set. I say that because I was just listening to that earlier, and it's a very... For me, even, it's almost emotional because it's it's very intimate. I, I grew up yeah. listening to Mac a lot, and his... Story is a sad ending um, for those mm -hmm. that don't know. Um, you know, I think, oh man, this is a really, it's a really good question. I think um, I would have to have some Kid Cudi in there. Um, okay. I I spent a lot of time with Kid Cudi um, growing up, and I think if you're talking about time alone and you and you need a good good album uh probably man on the moon maybe maybe man okay. on the moon too nice. uh one of those two um and then i would need so one of those is like very chill one of those is very like being your thoughts so i need something that would like get the job done like something to go uh <laughs> You know, go out and forage. Um, <laughs> and for that, oh man, who would I? Who would I pick for that? Uh, I'd probably want something like classical, like something uh, maybe, maybe potentially even. Um, I don't know if this would be like too stereotypical, like Back in Black, uh, ACDC, <laughs> or like. <laughs> Does that like, album open with Hell's Bells? I think it does. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll get and, you going. Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like that'd be like a good, like, <laughs> let's, let's charge. <laughs> cool. Good trio. I love that. Yeah. Very um, all over the place. But <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as it should be, you're going to want, you know, some diverse uh, you know, sounds while you're mm -hmm. on an island. Um, at least exactly. to be in nature. <laughs> You know, yes, <laughs> maybe it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should all be on an island for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyhow, um, cool, Garrett. This this is this has been really awesome. Uh, you know, for those who are listening who want to follow along or get involved with any of the stuff that you're doing, where is the best place for them to do that? Um, probably my Twitter. Uh, it is. Uh, underscore Garrett Hughes, which is, I know, uh, not, not a great name, but, <laughs> um, or, clear. or alternatively, yeah, it is clear. Alternatively, <laughs> um, 
I would, I would check out dune.com, um, doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um, a lot of interesting features for even ironically, even music artists or people that don't have SQL skills that are trying to get data around things. Um, mm. we're spending a lot of time thinking about, uh, that on, on our LLM slash AI team. Cool. Awesome. Um, cool, man. Well, thank you again, you know, so much for your time and energy and thoughts. It's, you know, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thanks for having me. All right. That's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media. And you can visit us at decentral.io. And remember, only you can prevent and fend off. Big Brother. Big Brother.